0: At FIE, we're not just
1: students and faculty, we're not only learners and lecturers,
0: we are expanding minds,
1: expanding futures, we're redefining the classroom, we are life-changing,
2: eye-opening, we are a community,
1: driven by our values that wants you, you, yes, you, to join. Hello again and welcome to the next episode in the Student Global Leadership Podcast Series. I'm Victor Mellers with FIE, and today we'll be switching it up with a panel discussion titled Changing Leadership. Moderated by FIE's own uh, Dr. Heidi James Dunbar, this panel was part of our Women's Super Saturday at the SGLC 2021 and features Valencia Gabay, Isabella Arago, and Eve Alcock. Let's get to it.
0: Welcome to our SGLC panel discussion on changing leadership. In a time of instability, it is impossible to predict what the future holds. Indeterminate times demand strong leadership that can shore up an uncharted future. Throughout history, strong leaders have brought positive and enduring change in periods of doubt. But how can today's leaders steer us on a path towards positive change when we don't know what new surprises tomorrow will bring? I'm Dr. Heidi James Dunbar, and I'm joined by Isabella Arrigo, a graduate student at Brigham Young University, where she's pursuing a master's degree in environmental science. Specifically, she studies how increased wildfire events impact aquatic biodiversity and water availability. Eve Alcock, who's currently an analyst at the Clean Air Fund, working across teams with a focus on communications and strategic partnerships. Eve's background is in higher education, having spent two years as president of the University of Bath Student Union, where she was a governor of the university and chair of the Student Union's Board of Trustees. She's also led a Women in Leadership program of work, organising two conferences with external speakers and workshops, and launching her own podcast, Rise Up which empowers women to lead. Eve holds a bachelor's degree in psychology and is currently a director at the Quality Assurance Agency for Higher Education and a member of the Democratic Procedures Committee for the National Union of Students. And also joining us, we have Valencia Gabay, who's an online instructor and educational leader creating nurturing learning environments for today's global thinkers. Her research interests include virtual teams, leader humility, learning organisations and organisational change. Valencia is a published author and international presenter. She holds a Master of Education from the University of Florida and is completing a PhD in organisational leadership from Indiana Wesleyan University. Thank you all for joining me for this discussion. I think it's probably best if we start with me asking a question. Our modes of leadership have contributed to our current crises of environment, the rise of far-right politics, stagnation, the pandemic.
2: How do we evolve new modes and orientations of leadership for a fairer world? I mean, it's a great question. And if we knew the answer in totality, we probably wouldn't be in such a mess as we are. <laughs> um, when I was thinking about this question, the first thought that came to my head and I'm sure others will have other thoughts um, is that I think we need to get out of the habit of viewing our leaders alone as our solutions and as if they have the answer and if only we had the right leaders we would have the right solutions. Um, Obviously they're integral in helping put momentum behind solutions but those solutions come from people um, and I think in order to make progress on all of the issues that you mentioned we need to make sure that actually the leadership is a better reflection of the people and I think that disconnect is part of the reason why we are where we are at the moment.
3: I agree with that I, just the idea of shared leadership you know and what's that look like and what does that feel like and I also think leaders those of us who are in leadership positions have to begin to question our own belief systems around what leadership is mm-hmm. and what we've kind of grown up to know for it to be, and um, our attitudes and values towards leadership.
4: Yeah, I think just to add, kind of along those lines, I completely agree with what both of them have already said. But I think that, along with what Eve was saying, is that we also have to. Um, be willing to recognize that our leaders are fallible that we and we can't put all the blame when they do something wrong right like we're still stuck in this bad situation or something bad has happened because of a choice they made well they're still learning just as we all are and so putting such harsh blame on our leaders while we need to hold them to a high standard because they're leading large groups of people um, and i hope that they will be willing to readjust their their past and their actions as they see mistakes that they have made or as they learn more or get more details or insight into what's happening. Um, but I think that just remembering that they're people just as we are is really probably a good way to go.
0: I don't know if you have guys have heard of George Mombiot. He's um, a fantastic journalist uh, here in the UK and he is very much involved in, in environmental justice uh, and, and really uh, thinks deeply in, in, in an interconnected way. And he was asked today on Twitter if he would ever go into politics. And he said, no, because I actually think political system as it stands needs to change. Inside, which is something you you guys have all highlighted. And Valencia, I hope you don't mind. I want to just come back a little bit because you said something really interesting about you know the types of questions that leaders are asking themselves. What questions might leaders, because many of us will be, in some position of leadership in some form, whether it's -hmm. managing a small team, but what kind of questions do you think we should be asking ourselves? Does my leadership style fit the moment?
3: Um, What I think about leadership, does it align with what's going on today? So we, we, there are some people who still have the very male dominant views of leadership and they're operating from those um, those perspectives. And sometimes you don't always know it. So the idea of just self-reflection right? What is my understanding of leadership? Is that leadership style meeting the moment? Do I need to have more diverse leadership practice? Because we are leading across generations. We have the baby boomers and we've got the millennials. We're leading across, you know, different cultures, different religions. And so as we enter these spaces where we're working with more diverse groups, we have to begin to question what our leadership style looks like um, in those moments. Yeah, That's so
2: true. And for me, what that comes down to is Mm self-awareness. And when I think, I mean, I've only been on the planet 25 years, right? So not not a whole load of time, but when I think about some of the most prominent leaders, not from the outside, it doesn't look like loads of them have particularly high self-awareness or emotional intelligence or awareness of their own limitations. Mm -hmm. Uh, As Isabella said, obviously it's important that we as people see our leaders as fallible and that they have limitations but it's another thing as well to actually have leaders who are aware of their own limitations and that humility and vulnerability we don't see in leaders and we often don't see it because people don't allow leaders to be human and vulnerable but I think that that self-awareness and that kind of emotional maturity is huge and that's not something that's modelled in the predominant uh, leadership style when we think about leadership at the moment. I was just gonna
3: add to Eve um, when she talks about humility, that's so important, humble leaders today, courageous leaders, but also this goes back to understanding what humility is and what it's not. So when we think about humility, some people might think that means being weak, when we kind of define what humility is, it is being aware of our limitations of knowledge and our ability to cultivate wisdom and use that. And so I think sometimes and it might be in the Western culture where that idea of being a humble leader means not, not to do that, to be weak when it really doesn't. So that's an excellent point.
4: I just think along those lines with humility um, is like as a leader asking, right? In a new time, in new when there's a new... Un- unprecedented times, which is what we're hearing all the time these days, right? When we find ourselves in these times or with these new, um, pandemics or environmental issues, or just things that no leader has had to pass through before. So we can't look to our past, we can't look to our history for examples, or we have to look really far back to our history. So what they did may not really apply to our society today Mm -hmm. is asking, asking the community, asking minority groups, asking, right, creating, that's why we have advisors and panels as leaders to help us make these hard decisions. And I think, A huge part of humility, as both Valencia and Eve have mentioned, is looking at those that we have around us and asking what they think and from their experiences and their knowledge and their expertise. Because as one human, we only have so much that we can choose from, but as a whole society or community or global community, we have so much more. You guys have just talked beautifully uh, into what would have been my next question, which
0: would be about how do we, mesh and interlink in an increasingly connected world without re-encountering cultural chauvinism and tyranny and a sort of privileged ignorance which we've seen far too often and continue to see. Um, So you've talked about that beautifully. I don't know if you want to add any more towards that but how do we mesh and interlink without you know the the kind of cultural privileges and and chauvinisms and, and this is the way we do it and our way's better or ignoring other voices and and things, because we are, you know, we cannot ignore, particularly at the moment, our interconnectivity, which has been writ large by the pandemic, hasn't it?
4: Yeah, I think just kind of along the lines of what I just said, I think that living in such a connected world has brought a lot of negative things, (laughs) Um, but I also think that it brings so much good and so much positivity, but we just have to learn how to work with other people. Right. It's like such a basic principle that we were supposed to learn when we were in preschool. (laughs) But I think that learning how to work well with others, how to recognize people's differences, how to recognize our own, like where we fall short and our own biases that we grew up with based on our own personal experiences. Um, But once we've learned that, and I mean, it's not something you learn and then you're good. It's something I think that you always continue to develop on and to learn more. But I think once you, have learned this principle, at least the basics of it, the connected world that we have will provide so much benefit and so much good because there's so many different experiences and so much diversity that will allow us to then move forward with like more informed and more educated and with better decisions. So,
3: Isabel, I appreciate that conversation because coming from an organizational learning perspective or organizational, um, Cultural perspective, leaders have that kind of responsibility to create a space for learning within organizations and to steer that. So I believe it was like Shine, he does work on organizational culture. He talked about we are be- in this rapidity of change, we are becoming leaders and followers are becoming lifelong learners and that's what it's about that we're continually learning about ourselves about different cultures but the other aspect of it is is to understand that culture is not without conflict that goes hand in hand and then how do we you know mitigate that conflict what are the skills and tools we have to mitigate that conflict that comes because of culture
0: and do you have any thoughts about how we might do that valencia
3: Well, I think it also kind of starts with examining our cultural training programs within organizations. Are they robust enough? Are we talking about um, the difference between what diversity is and inclusion is? Because we sometimes use those words interchangeably and they're two different concepts. And are our um, programs running through the entire thread of the organization? Because we sometimes see it in one aspect where you do a training once a year and you check the box that you've done the training. But do we see it again? Are we living those things each and every day within our organizations? And how do we hold ourselves accountable for those sorts of things?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Eve, did you want to add to that?
2: I mean, I I agree with everything that you said. And I guess, the key to that interconnected point as well is that if you flip it with a positive, we don't have to do this alone. We don't have to work things out on our own because we're so connected now that somebody out there has the answer or they've been through it or they can help you. Um, And if anything, the key is, is realizing that it's better to do things together rather than thinking you can do it on your own. And we've seen a lot of, um, moves towards more isolationist, sort of turning our backs on community and collaboration and thinking that we can do this alone and take back control and all of that kind of stuff. And actually that's not how we get anything done. Um, it, it hasn't been how we've got things done in the past and it won't be in the future. And so any any move towards turning our shoulder away from that interconnectedness actually is just taking us backwards in progress.
0: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. But do you think, I mean, I was, when I was reading to prepare for this and I was thinking about the questions, which obviously I wanted to find some questions that would stimulate conversation. One of the things I, I was thinking about that I'd come across was the question of the potential for coll- collectivism or democratic leadership styles, that they might endanger the, the minority and that you know, the majority speaks and therefore there are voices or people or groups left unheard and potentially in danger or suppressed and oppressed because they are not fitting in and even in a society that is attempting to do its absolute best are they are we listening like there are potential dangers and how do we work around those what do we do about that
3: that's a good point I know you know and uh, being here Uh, after going through four years of our president and now we have a new president, there are people who were saying our voices weren't heard. How do we get heard? How do we get seen? And I think it's the understanding that while collectivism is, is good, I always believe in balance. Balance is so important because in the individualism, you get to know somebody on an intimate level, right? You get to realize that their struggle is a little bit different than your struggle. So there are times I think we do need to kind of while we do have this collectivist approach, understand that there may be voices that don't get heard in that. And how do we then begin to listen or create a space for those individuals? And I think it's also about creating a space of psychological safety because a lot of people don't feel safe saying things, right? And certain things on either side, whether it's the left or the right, to say things without getting you know, hurt or something aggressive or those sorts of things. And so I think it, it's beginning to create the psychological safety for people to come to this space to have the conversations, because it's about the ability to have the conversation, right? I don't have to necessarily agree with what you say, but we have to be able to come across, you know, the bridge, or we can't stand on one side of the bridge and just be over here. How do we kind of meet in the middle to have the conversation? And that's a, that's a tough thing to answer, particularly in the times that we're living in right now.
4: I really, really like that point because I think that no matter what system we have in place, there will always be people who aren't heard. It's just inevitable in such a big community when we're trying to govern an entire country rather than a small town or a state, right? And I think, but what you were saying, Valencia, about the importance of safety, I have been so disappointed as the political year has (laughs) (laughs) rolled out. I've been so disappointed in my own friends and family and community members and people I don't know in how they are bashing each other. Like not even, they're not even saying, I disagree with your opinion, they're saying, I don't like you and I don't have to like you because of your political opinion. And I think that that is the opposite direction we want to go in. And so I think that starting by like reconstructing this mental and emotional safety for people to share their political and not even political, just their own opinions and experiences and ideologies is is so important and probably the first step in being able to move
2: forward. It's super Mm -hmm. interesting because I... Um, it feels like ages ago, when I was writing my dissertation, I was writing it about the youth justice system, but there's two concepts. One is uh, procedural justice and one is distributive justice. And um, the procedural justice is that even if people don't get the outcome they want, so think about a democratic process, if you don't get the outcome that you were hoping for, if you felt like you had your voice heard along the way during that process, and that you had ample time to uh, talk about how you felt to share your ideas with other people, you are scientifically more likely to accept and work with an outcome than Mm -hmm. if you got the outcome, but weren't that involved along the way and didn't feel like you had your voice heard along the way. And that it's really similar in that, like, democracy will by virtue of its system will always fall down on one side or another as to which party gets in but it's about the process and the process doesn't have to be party political the process should be the way that a culture or society goes about collecting the collective intelligence of its citizens about how to solve complex problems in society um and I think that's that's one of the keys that that we we don't have down I mean people talk a lot about citizens assemblies and stuff, the way that our processes work at the moment, we treat people like consumers and that their representatives are people that will do things for them. And so it's a very transactional process. And then we get even more frustrated when we see our leader not doing the thing that we wanted them to do, right? But what if you start flipping, viewing people from consumers of democracy to a citizen that has agency in a community. And then the job of those leaders is to facilitate the action of the people and bring people together to solve those problems. And it's those structures actually, that if you can get those right, the democracy process on top should go much smoother, if that makes sense. It does. It
3: sounds like that com- that community-based asset kind of ideology where we have the answer within our communities. We don't necessarily have to have someone come in and try to tell us what to do, but we're aware of the resources that we have, or are aware of our assets, and then how to um, kind of do the shared leadership to get it to work. So that makes sense to me. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you guys have, you've hit on some perfect, some wonderful points here. Being, safety is, is crucial because if you feel safe you tend not to be reactionary you tend not to fall into a polarized position if you're being heard and, and you're not being um, either valorized or demonized you're right we listen to one another I think as well you the idea that there are shared goals the, uh, the env- environmental emergency at the moment that should be our shared goal doesn't matter what side of the political spectrum we fall on Um, and that idea of having a shared goal and therefore we all come together to work on it in whatever way we can as citizens as you say why why are we waiting for someone to go off and fix can you fix it please because we know that doesn't work we don't do that in any of our other relationships we don't really do that in our families as we small children might but as we grow we don't do that at work you know we we understand we have responsibilities and that there is a a shared um, movement towards that I think we should run we should we should be the leaders (laughs) (laughs) this is the manifesto we're (laughs) (laughs) co-creating um we are actually coming quite close to time which is a shame because I could sit and listen to you guys for a very long time it's just wonderful but is there anything you'd like to say any any final thoughts anything you'd like to say in conclusion
2: there's I was thinking about when I've had conversations about leadership in the past and I think we touched on it but leadership is changing right the idea of a suited and booted CEO at the top of a company is what sometimes we think about if you say leadership if you type in leadership it's what comes up in google images those people are usually men but one of the best definitions that I have heard of leadership is when you have a group of people going together wanting to achieve something and one person says, screw it, I'll go first. It's not because they have any prerequisite to be destined to be CEO or any of this kind of stuff. It's just having the courage to take a step forward and go, okay, cool. And those people provided it was a grassroots movement will come with you, but you just become the point of the triangle of that movement but you're not separated from it and you are amongst those people and so the idea that all it takes is just to go screw it I'll go first actually I think takes away all of the jargon and the the imposter syndrome we sometimes face when we think about leadership and it's just about taking that first step and the rest follows
3: just to piggyback off of that. It's excellent. Absolutely. I love that. Eve is, um, I don't know how many of you read Glennon Doyle, some of her work. Uh, Mm -hmm. The thing she says all the time on Twitter is we can do hard things. And I sometimes think we as humans don't think we're complex beings. We are complex just with who we are and we have the ability to do hard things. So I think sometimes we forget that, that we are packed and equipped with everything that we need to solve these issues. But I think it's the other stuff that kind of gets in the way and we're not able to kind of move through. So we can do hard things that's my last <laughs> my last words we can do hard things
4: i guess my last thought something i've been thinking about as we've been talking and as i was kind of thinking about this panel coming up um i lead and i teach an international development course at my university and we do this activity this FAMA activity. I can't remember what it stands for, but it's this activity about like community leadership and, um, For international development it's about instead of like white saviorism going in and like leading it's about giving the power to the community that you're trying to help develop themselves and I just think about that so much in leadership in like as a community as a diverse society as a global connected community we have so much strength and so much power and as you were saying we can do hard things and um, with our combined knowledge and with our combined experiences and capacity we have so much more power and I think about instead of giving the power to one leader and looking to one leader all the time taking the power into our own hands and leading as a community and you know whether that means a campus community whether that means a town community a state a nation our global community but I think taking our taking that power and that leadership into our own hands and working together based on our combined experiences is so important and beneficial. I mean, this is wonderful. Thank you so much. I feel I'm really
0: uplifted by this conversation. I wish we could talk for longer. This is just wonderful. Thank you so much.
1: Hopefully you enjoyed this thought-provoking and inspiring conversation as much as the attendees at the conference did. Thank you to our moderator and our three panelists who also individually presented sessions during the conference. We'll link the websites and podcasts of Dr. James Dunbar, Valencia, Isabella and Eve in the show notes so you can check out their projects and causes. That's all from us today. So tune in next time for the next episode in FIE's Student Global Leadership Conference podcast series.
2: FIE, we're here to help you
1: unlock a wider,
2: brighter future.